Okay, thanks, Lyndall. Um, I guess it's unfortunate I have to stand up here in front of you because it means that things aren't going quite so well. Um, but nonetheless, uh, normally we would have had Andrew Weeks uh, up here to, to talk to you, but he's unavailable. So uh, myself being the chair of um, our Viticultural Technical Committee, um, I'm going to basically present to you and I guess also share some of my thoughts um, about uh, what I would do, what I'm planning to do, um, given that um, I also grow Shiraz and Cabernet and that seems to be very much on the nose at the moment. So um, first up, I guess um, looking at um, uh, our viticulture activities at Riverland Wine. So we're in a rebuilding phase at the moment. So between um, Chris Byrne um, departing and um, having changes in our management committee and having a new executive officer, um, to be honest, we kind of haven't really achieved um, some runs on the board, haven't achieved much over the last couple of years. So we do have a, a new focus, um, especially at, at this time. So um, uh, Lindell is in the process of engaging or uh, recruiting a, uh, a grower engagement officer, someone that can be a direct point of contact um, for your viticultural needs in addition to, to other sources. Um, and wherever we can, we're trying to source together new information um, and, and get that out to you uh, to, to help you um, through your businesses. The uh, technical committee, um, I'm the chair. Um, we have members from the Adelaide Uni, uh, AWRI and CCW. Um, and really it's there to drive um, research, development and extension activities um, in the region. Um, at the moment, that's probably not a priority. Um, a priority is just try to work out how to get through our current oversupply. Um, there's our technical network. Um, so it's not just that committee. There's a, there's a wider ranging network that we also draw um, upon other people's skills that can help uh, the entire region. So, um, to the point of today, the Shiraz and Cabernet oversupply. So here's just some numbers which I found that will further highlight information that you've probably already received. Um, but um, some of us would have already received information um, from one of the wineries that they're looking at 350 million litres or 500,000 tonnes um, of Shiraz and Cabernet is floating around in Australia that's unsold. So sitting in tanks, um, and if they can't move that, that is going to impact on this year's harvest. This is the one which um, I guess I look at. Um, so you know, it's like, well, why aren't we getting paid um, what we deserve for our grapes? Why can't we sell our wine? Um, whatever the reason is, I'm not getting into it because that's not my um, area of expertise. But what I can tell you is just looking at the, the latest um, Seati report from August, there's the bulk wine pricing and we're not sitting anywhere near where we would have been in the past. Um, so coupled with the fact that you've got higher freight costs for getting our wine anywhere in the world compared to 
um, say Spain or Chile, which are closer to some of the markets that we deal in, it's just, it's, it's grim. Um, next slide. Okay, another set of stats which I thought also just highlight uh, why we are where we are, unfortunately. Um, so, if we have a look, we've got, this is the reds for the entire state, 50,000 hectares, and this is the increase that's happened in the last three years. Then you've got um, the Shiraz component, you've got the cab component, that's the increase over the last three years. And here's um, the uh, the reds component. So when you've got um, so-called well, they, I guess they are experts. But when you've got the wineries or other people out in the industry saying we just have too many reds, I guess those numbers kind of back it up a little bit. Compare that to um, the whites. So 17,000 hectares in the state, 173 hectares increase in the last three years. And then you've got uh, the Chardonnay for the state and then the Riverland Whites total and the um, Chardonnay total. So rightly or wrongly, there's been a big increase in um, Shiraz and Cabernet and now it's causing us a lot of problems. So what's my take on it, certainly as a grower? If you're a grower of Shiraz and Cabernet, I don't think this year is about trying to um, do anything for profit. It's about trying to aim to minimise your losses because um, there's already been enough people out there saying Shiraz and Cabernet is just a whole world of pain. We can't move stock. So it is what it is. The way how I see that we can deal with that is to, on your own property, um, um, focusing on trying to still maintain productivity. So it could be that if you've got, um, uh, say, an area of Shiraz, reduce the amount that is cropped. So if you've got uh, a couple of patches, you might only crop one. Or if you've got one patch, you might only crop half of it. Um, and then, of course, wherever possible, to main, try and maintain some level of productivity is to reduce your inputs wherever possible. So, you know, um, certainly I've heard people in the industry say, well, if you're growing Shiraz and Cabernet, do not put any fertiliser out this year. It's a waste of money. Um, <coughs> try and be as efficient as you can with uh, your fungicide sprays, which could be a little bit difficult given that we are going into a La Nina, but we'll see how we go. Um, and certainly when I drive around the place, um, hopefully I'm not offending anyone, but uh, recreational tillage, your disc, cultivator, your rotary hoe, forget about it. Um, it's not needed. Just if you want to um, control weeds, weed aside, slash. Cheaper than, than doing it the other way. Um, but that's just my opinion. So back to, I guess, the point of today with a focus on aiming to minimise those losses. So here's, I guess, the options that have been thrown around um, through industry circles. So either rejuvenation of your current plantings, which basically means through non-cropping and uh, trying to uh, rejuvenate your canopy, um, 
or alternatively resting the current plantings. Um, there has been offers to top work to another variety um, or you could completely replant to another variety, so complete removal of the vineyard and then go to another variety. There is, of course, complete crop change. So wine grapes go, something else goes in, in its place. Um, and unfortunately for some of our, um, our growers around the region, um, it might be a change of profession or actually that's it, I'm no longer growing grapes and I'm gonna walk away. Um, that's, the, I guess, the sad reality. <coughs> so if we look at um, the first of those, which I'm gonna focus a little bit on, Yes. The, the last point there really is one of your take-home messages really is I don't think that this year can be business as usual. Um, I know that as growers we'd like to keep growing but I don't think that's necessarily going to be an option this year for everyone. Okay, so uh, if you were to um, think about going into a non-cropping scenario... Um, so you know, there has been offers, if you're non-crop, you'll get some sort of payment. That's all well and good. Um, really, my take-home message, which I would be doing, is um, you want to maintain a healthy vineyard whilst reducing your costs. So it's not just as simple as, I'm not going to crop this year, I'm going to turn the water off, because past experience from uh, the last time that we had oversupply in the industry in, in other regions is when they turned the water off and then brought the vineyard back again. It was very patchy. You may not have uh, bounced back to your normal uh, cropping capacity as quickly as what you would like. So just zero water, it, unfortunately, it's not an option if you want to continue with that patch. So as I alluded to before, if you've got multiple patches of um, a particular variety, you know, Go for broke on one of those patches, but don't crop the other patch and then even your tonnage out across the property. I know that um, certainly CCW, they're saying, well, that can be done. Um, another option is if you've got uh, just a single patch, try and work out how you might be able to crop only half that patch normally and not crop the other half. It's going to take a little bit of um, ingenious thinking about how you can manage irrigation because obviously if you're not cropping part of the patch you don't want to be putting on your full amount of water and fertiliser because you'll end up with a complete mess. So for me, um, and I'll show you a couple of photos in a minute, um, but if you're non-cropping the idea would be uh, in my book is to remove your bud load. So cut the vines back really hard, um, no buds, will equal uh, less fruiting potential. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to rejuvenate the vine by getting rid of all your dead wood. Um, and then from there, manage your inputs, i.e. water and uh, fungicides, to make sure you've got a balanced canopy. So if I've, if I've gone to the trouble of cutting my vines back to have no crop on them, the last thing I want to be doing in there is then pouring heaps of water on so I have to do all this green trimming because there's no crop to hold the growth back. Does that kind of make sense? So carefully manage your water um, so that in an ideal world, 
um, the vine will, will be healthy and you can significantly save the amount of water applied but then not go in and add any more expense on top of that. And, and the other one which I looked at is, well, if I'm not going to crop it, well, the last thing I want to do is actually put a harvester in there to get rid of the crop because that's an extra expense, if that makes sense. Okay? So just um, a couple of examples. So just driving along the roadway and um, I looked at that and went, well, if this person decided that they were not going to crop, um, first thing you do is basically cut off all the ugly um, spurs up there and you know, that might achieve um, a significant crop reduction that you might get somewhere or in, in terms of savings and costs. Um, here's a classic. So if you were to cut through the top of that, that would significantly reduce your, your cropping load if you decide to put a patch into a no cropping situation. Now, bear in mind, um, you should then also think about you're going to have larger pruning wounds. So um, there will be information on the RWRI website about protecting your vines about um, um, trunk pathogens. So things like Utipa, Botrosphaeria, that we don't normally worry about because we just don't worry about it. But if you've got larger pruning cuts through there, then it might pay to go through um, with a spray or something like tebuconazole, which is a protectant um, for those cuts so that you don't get things like Utipa getting into your vine. Because um, Utipa, I never knew what term was, but you know, it's where it basically goes through and kills your arms off. It's a, it's a woody, um, um, woody pathogen that uh, slowly kills your vine. So all the guys in the cool climate areas are, are very much aware of this and they have practices, well, hopefully if they're good growers, they've got practices to deal with that. Um, as I said, we, it's not something that we've normally worried about in the past. So my little acreage, that's my Shiraz before pruning. That's my Shiraz after pruning. So I've just got a Spagnolo over the road barrel pruner. Um, would be better if I had saws, but um, I just tightened everything up and went for it. Well, not went for it, it's half a K an hour, but um, so I've just cut it back as hard as I can um, because I've I've made the decision that, uh, based on past experience when Chardonnay was oversupply, um, I just went, no, I'm not, not going to crop it. Um, and this is just a photo of um, some blind buds that have already started to force out. So that got pruned uh, in the middle of August, um, and that photo was taken earlier, uh, late last week. So if you like, they're already starting to force out some new, uh, new growth um, as, as part of rejuvenation. Um, I did have a go last year because I was dead set certain that last year Cabernet was going to be an oversupply and that we were going to have uh, tonnage restrictions. So I started pruning some Cabernet back really hard, uh, just doing the sides and, and leaving the tops. Um, as it turned out, that was not the case. Um, so all I 
did was drop the whole heap of crop um, or cropping potential. Um, but the, the vines are still okay. Uh, I did see there would have been um, some um, buds that forced out on the lower cordon, um, but not as much as I expected, primarily because I still had all the bud potential on the top of the canopy that uh, forced out and, and had the cropping. So uh, not as successful as what I would like. Okay. Um, then, of course, there's always the option of if you're not... It, so the, the, the cutting back of uh, the vines um, and resting, if you like, is if you determine for your business that you're going to continue being a Shiraz and Cabernet grower. And that's fine. That could be your decision. If you decide, nope, I've had enough of that, um, then I guess another option is, if you're going to keep it as vines, um, consider top working or complete vineyard removal. So um, just focusing on, the, uh, on that aspect. So I guess you've got the option of changing to alternate varieties. The question you've got to ask yourself is, is it going to be another red? Is it going to be another white? Um, the difficulty being that um, you know some within the wine industry will go, well, we only sell Shiraz and Cabernet. Not helpful to us growers. When you've got other emerging varietals like um, Tempranillo and Montepulciano and so forth, which might be better suited to our environment, but no one wants to, to sell them. So that's a bigger picture thing. Um, of course, there's uh, current market demand. So there's there's um, one of the wineries has got offers on the table for more Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, Prosecco, or Lira, as the Italians like to call it. Um, so the option is there um, to basically top work, um, and and then go on to another variety, to one of those varieties, or another white variety. Um, what I would do is keep in the back of your mind, though, is if you're going to go down that path in terms of restructuring your vineyard, is ideally it would be to think about the future growing conditions. You know, should we be planting a variety that is more suited to um, a hotter, drier climate or um, a variety that's got better disease control? Um, that would be nice, but unfortunately, as I just said, some within the wine industry um, are reluctant to you know, embrace those varieties in a big way and that, and that makes it difficult for us as growers. So um, the question there being top working or, or full re replanting, um, really the last line there is the most critical and that is plan, plan, plan. Um, it's difficult to get um, the vigorous rootstocks at the moment because they're all being snapped up by table grape growers. Um, I would imagine that trying to get um, uh, top grafters at the moment is probably also very difficult because not only are we uh, uh, people in this area considering top grafting, the other areas are as well. So um, really the key there is plan, plan, plan. Um, don't think that you're gonna do something and then start making those inquiries late um, and find out that your plans have then been um, shot in the water. So, um, if you're looking at um, top grafting, not to steal any thunder away from Paul's presentation, um, but that is a very good resource, so we've been told. 
um, where um, Nick Dry wrote that publication. Um, so it goes through uh, quite a lot of um, facts and, and details about things that you should consider that as a grower you wouldn't normally think of, such as do you have viruses present in your vineyard that will then impact the uh, success of top grafting? Um, make sure that you get virus-free source material for when you do top grafting. Um, so, yeah, quite a, quite a thick booklet. Um, basically, Google uh, New South Wales um, Agriculture and you'll find that link. Um, and you can download it as a PDF and have a read through it. Um, so the last point really is about, okay, well, what do I do? Really, it comes down to um, trying to get some handle on the numbers of your business and of your individual patches. Terrible thing, I know, because it's much more enjoyable actually doing the growing, but um, at the end of the day, the numbers will help guide you in which direction you should be heading. So I'll just get Kate to pop up my little spreadsheet. So I've, I've created, or rather, um, downloaded the gross margin webs, uh, gross margin spreadsheet off of the CCW website um, and just played around with it, entered in some real world numbers. So um, fertilizer pricing is pretty well current um, as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, and just had a bit of a play around um, to see how it would fit. So um, I know you're all going to disagree with me, but I've got their uh, cropping rate, 100% is uh, 20 tonnes a hectare. We can all grow more than that for the purpose of this exercise. Um, um, for CCW, that's working on roughly scheduled tonnes, okay? So... If um, through the information that's been out there, they're saying, well, scheduled tonnes or less and possibly $150 a tonne. Um, so I've worked on, you know, 10 sprays during the season. You can go, well, that's too many or that's not enough, whatever. You can plug in your own numbers. Um, you know, a couple of times for green trimming, um, some pruning, um, some foliar fertiliser, um, Fertiliser here based on nutrient replacement. So uh, two kilograms of nitrogen for every tonne of grapes produced, um, a third of a kilo of uh, phosphorus for every tonne produced, and a couple of weedicides throughout the year, um, some irrigation. So um, again, you can say six megs a hectare for 20 tonne a hectare is either too high or too low, whatever. Um, Pumping costs, so in this case, this is a um, Berry Irrigation District, so you've got um, the, the cost of your own power plus the cost of uh, delivery costs from CIT. And then you've got um, harvest um, labour, or the, the harvester and, and the associated labour, and then um, freight. Um, so again, depending on where you are in the region, your freight costs will be higher or lower. Um, so when I've plugged all those numbers in, um, basically it says you're making a loss. And so when I look at that, I go, well, that's a bit shit. Why would I do that? Um, and you can go through and you can go, well, the first thing you want to do as a grower, well, okay, they're going to pay me less. What should I do? I should grow more. 
Um, whoops. Throw more. Kate, if you want to put in, uh, say, 150. Yep. So producing 30 tonne a hectare. So the water's gone up, fertiliser's gone up, um, obviously the freight's gone up, the harvesting costs have stayed the same. Um, and again, tin tax as to whether you say 9 megs a hectare is, is too much or not enough for 30 tonnes, but you've only just gotten over break, uh, break even. And what I'd say to you is in this current climate, um, I would wonder whether you would actually get that into the winery. Um, terrible thing to say, but if the tanks are already full and they, they're struggling to move stock, um, especially with Shiraz, I wouldn't be growing more to try and make my money and then be hung out to dry, so to speak, and um, having crop that's going 17, 18 BOME because they can't put it in the tank. So you would lose half your crop, but you still incurred all the costs from producing a, a bigger crop. It's just alarm bells to me. Um, so what happens if you go into a non-crop picking situation? So same spreadsheet, all we've done is zero crop. Um, you're still going to have to do some sort of fungicide control, um, especially if it's going to be a wet spring, but hopefully it's going to be less because you, you don't have um, um, the crop to protect. Um, no, no green trimming, so my aim would be to grow the canopy enough, but not too much that you have to go in and green trim. Um, no fertiliser costs, uh, sorry, no foliar nutrients, no fertiliser costs here. Um, a couple of weedicides, because um, if you let your weeds grow, they're only going to come back as an expense in future years. Um, and then just a ballpark, I've reduced the water by half, just to see what it looks like. Um, and so in this case, we come out at $638 a hectare loss. So you're still making a loss, you're not covering any of your overhead costs, um, but hopefully your vine is going to be in a better situation to then um, come back into cropping. And I guess if you think bigger picture, you're not contributing to more of the oversupply. And I know no one wants to be a pariah um, and basically, um, you know, not crop and let others have the fun of, uh, of cropping and hopefully making um, lots of money. But I don't think in this instance this year that anyone that is, if you decided to not crop, I don't think anyone that decided to continue cropping is going to make a fortune. So it's a matter of, you know, taking on board some simple numbers like that and go, okay, what's going to be best for my operation? Like I said, the simplest thing could be crop one patch, don't crop another patch. Um, to try and save some money. So um, with that, hopefully I haven't stolen the thunder from um, our next two speakers, but um, yeah, hopefully that just provides a bit of uh, thought process about what you might employ on your own properties um, to try and get through the next 12 months. Thanks. <laughs>